May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be ever acceptable to you, O Lord our God. An elementary teacher one day asked her students, if all the children that were bad were painted red, and all the children that were bad, um, that were good, were painted green, what color would you be? Think about that. What color would you be, red or green? It's a tough question when you're posed with only two options. Well, one very wise child said, striped. <laughs> Today's gospel is about the lost and the found, the sinner and the righteous. It seems to me that in this gospel narrative, Everyone but Jesus is striped. It's the same in our world today. We're a curious combination of the lost and the found, the sinner and the righteous. We are striped. We are, in some sense, not a solid color. Today's gospel's hard language the language of the lost and the found, especially for folks in the middle, like most of us are most of the time. The lost and the found seems too absolute. Are we lost? Are we found? Rarely are we completely lost, and rarely are we completely found. There's always a part of us that needs to be dragged and conjoled into the light. And there's always a part of us that's already there in the light. For some, it's more, and for some, it's less. The stripes are bigger sometimes than others. But always, we have both parts. In today's gospel, the Pharisees and the scribes the religious, church-going people of the time do not recognize that most of us are striped. We are both sinner and righteous. We are both lost and found. The Pharisees see themselves as the righteous, the good people, and they distinguish themselves from the dishonest, the lying, the cheating tax collectors, and other notorious sinners. They're absolutely appalled that Jesus would associate in any way with the sinful people, much less share a meal with them. So Jesus does what Jesus often does to teach them God's truth. He tells them a couple of parables. He tells two parables about the lost and the found. The first parable, he tells of the shepherd who has 100 sheep and loses one. The sheep are all right there except for one. But the shepherd goes on a diligent search for that one lost sheep until he finds it. 
In the next parable, Jesus tells us about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she loses one. So she diligently searches her house until she finds that one coin. The once lost is now found. But that's not the end of the story. The gospel does not end there. It's not just about being lost and then found. When the lost are found, the next thing that follows is rejoicing. When the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he says, rejoice with me. When the woman finds that lost coin, she says, rejoice with me. There is great joy in the lost being found, in the sinner who repents and turns towards God. In the conclusions to both of these parables, it's clear that all of heaven is rejoicing. Jesus says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We are called to rejoice with all of heaven over sinners who have been found and are repenting, are turning back to God. In both parables, rejoicing calls for celebration. The note of celebration may be exaggerated to emphasize the point. I mean, neither sheep nor coins repent. But the parable aims not at calling sinners to repentance, but the parable is calling the righteous to join in the celebration. Whether one will join in the celebration is all important because it reveals whether our relationship with God is based on merit or mercy. Those who find God's mercy offensive, or let's say it another way, those who find God's mercy unfair, I mean, does that person really deserve God's mercy? We cannot celebrate with the angels when a sinner repents if it's based on merit. We exclude ourselves in those situations from God's grace. Somehow we want God's mercy to extend to only those that we deem worthy. We miss out on the celebration for those who have turned towards God because we cannot see past their sin. Somehow their sin is worse than ours. Sure we sin, but nothing like that other person. While working as a court-appointed attorney, Emery Potter was assigned a client who'd been accused of criminal trespass. And Mr. Potter probed his client with some general questions to get his background. He asked if he had any previous arrest or convictions. And the man ashamedly said, yes, sir, I've got quite a few. So the attorney then tried to get more information. 
Any felonies? And the man indignantly replied, no, sir, I specialize in misdemeanors. sounds like so many of us. We know in our minds that we're sinners, but we specialize in misdemeanors, don't we? Not felonies. We specialize in the small sins, not the big ones. In our minds, ours are excusable sins. We're like the Pharisee who thanked God he was not like the tax collector. His sins fell within a range of acceptability. we go again, judging ourselves and others, distinguishing ourselves from those things that really bad sinners do, and thanking God that we're not like them, thanking God that our little sins are nothing like those big sins. You know, like at that holiday table when the adults sit at one table and the children sit at another, we separate ourselves. Well, we good Christians do the same thing. We put people like us at one table, and we put people that are not like us at another table. So if we're putting together a sinner's table at a holiday meal, you know, it might include a serial killer, an arms dealer, a gang member, a drug dealer, an unmarried woman with four children that she doesn't know who the father of any of them is. Well, don't forget to put Jesus at the head of that table, asking the gangbanger to hand him a roll, please. Offering the drug addict a second cup of coffee. Guess what happens next in this scenario? The local ministerial association, a group of Jacksonville clergy, come into the restaurant, sit down at the large table across from the sinners. The religious authorities all have good teeth and there's no dirt under their fingernails. When their food comes, they hold hands and they pray. They're perfectly nice people, they're good people but they can hardly eat their hamburgers for staring at the strange crowd across from them. One dirty woman sitting there still has her hair up in a hairnet. One man has just finished his day collecting garbage on the truck. He smells like spoiled meat. The attic can't even seem to find his mouth with the spoon. But none of those are really the heartbreaker. The heartbreaker is Jesus, sitting there as if everything is just fine. Doesn't he smell that? Doesn't he see these people? What kind of message is he sending? Who's going to believe that he speaks for God if he doesn't keep better company than that? But Jesus does not make distinctions based on merit. Jesus rejoices when a sinner repents, any sinner, for any sin or sins. There is no one or no sin 
resistant to the mercy and grace of God. Every sinner can be forgiven. The slate wiped clean. I mean clean. When they simply seek and turn back to God. So instead of sitting at two different tables, us and them, the people that are not like us and the people that are like us, who are pretty good most of the time, Jesus calls us to push the tables together, to join in the celebration together. To not look at the sins of another, but to look at their heart. And when someone, anyone, no matter what they have done, even when it's against us, when they turn their heart towards God, we need to put away our own judgmental, self-righteous heart and instead join with Jesus and say, Rejoice! Rejoice! Push the tables together.